I feel a little bit like the elementary school student who was writing with other classmates about composers and music for their English class. And when writing about Handel, the student said Handel was half German, half Italian, and half English. He was rather large. <laughs> and this is a rather large subject. But I feel that the Holy Spirit will help us as we talk about Him today. There are many verses other than the ones we read from John and Luke that teach us about the Holy Spirit. I would suggest that you put your finger in John the 16th chapter, for we will be referring to several verses that are found there about the Holy Spirit as well. The seventh verse, for example, of John 16 reads, For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now that's one of the most important statements about the Holy Spirit made in the Bible. It was made by Jesus before he ascended to be with the Father again. Notice again, if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. It introduces us to this very key factor. There was never more than one person of the Godhead manifest at a time in history. In the Old Testament era, it was God the Father. God speaking to Moses, dealing with Abraham working through the prophets and the judges and dealing with Israel. Then there's that period between the Old Testament and the church age that we call the Gospels. In that segment, brief though it may be, the second person of the Godhead was introduced. God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Jesus Christ, God's beloved Son. Then he stands and says to his followers, I must go away. For if I go not away, the Holy Spirit cannot come. So he ascended. And in Acts, the second chapter, the Holy Spirit descended, took up his abode in the followers of Christ, and sent them out to evangelize the world. Now, we have a unique connection between Old and New Testaments in Joel, the second chapter, and Acts, the second chapter. In Joel 2, verse 28, the prophet said, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit, capital S, my spirit upon all flesh. Now in Acts 2, Peter, after the infilling of the Spirit, addresses the multitude gathered for the feast of Pentecost. And he repeats what Joel said in his prophecy. These men are not drunk with wine, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that 
which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And so it happened. The third person of the Godhead came down to tabernacle with men. And he's here now. Now, how important is the Holy Spirit in your life? Very quickly, in my introduction, I want to tell you how important the Holy Spirit is in your life. First of all, you cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. You cannot go to heaven without the Holy Spirit. If you've had this weird idea that you're only going to do business with Jesus or the Father, you are unscriptural, my friend, and you need to open up your heart to the third person of the Trinity because 1 Corinthians 12, 3 reads, No man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. You cannot get acquainted with Jesus without the Holy Spirit. John 16 again, verse 8. And when He, capital H, has come, He, capital H, will convict the world of sin. Who is the He? The Holy Spirit. Jesus again was talking about the one who would come. He will convict the world of sin. No one is ever converted without the Holy Spirit initiating the conversion experience by conviction, by prodding the heart of an individual about his sin. You cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he is very important in your life. Secondly, Spiritual enlightenment comes by the Holy Spirit. John 14, this time, verse 26. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Now, seminary experience is good. Sunday school classes are wonderful. I encourage people to be involved. But the ultimate is the Holy Spirit teaching us the things that we need to know about God, about Jesus, about life, and about eternity. A little tyke went home from Sunday school. On the way, Mama was quizzing this little one about what was learned. And this little tyke said, well, we learned today about the holy blanket. And Mama said, the holy blanket? Wondering what kind of teacher occupied that class. And the little one said, oh, yes, Mommy. The teacher talked all morning about the comforter, the holy blanket. Well, in many ways, that's theological because he does come to blanket our minds, blanket our hearts, blanket our lives with enlightenment. 
The Holy Spirit does that. You can try to go away to some island and repeat mantras. It won't happen. Divine enlightenment comes by and through the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, spiritual guidance comes by Him. Do you know why so many mess up their life? Why so many stub their toe, fall on their face, make terrible mistakes? They have not opened to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, verse 13, He, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth. You see, there is a protection against the follies of this world, against all of the tragedies that we are acquainted with. There is an antidote, the Holy Spirit. That's why He's important in your life. He will guide you into truth. Fourthly, you avoid spiritual deception by the Holy Spirit. Notice in John 16, verse 14, what Jesus said. He, the Holy Spirit, will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Why are there hundreds of cults in America today? Because people have not met the Holy Spirit. You cannot meet the Holy Spirit and be led into error. You cannot meet the Holy Spirit and be led into occultism. When you meet the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, He will take of what is mine and He will show it to you. You will never be deceived. You will never be deluded when you know the Holy Spirit. And then fifth, spiritual power flows from him. Before Jesus left, after the resurrection, he stood on the mount and he spoke to those followers of his and said, you, those of you right here, shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Now go and tarry in Jerusalem. They did. And they met the Holy Spirit. After ten days of waiting and praying, there was the rushing sound of wind. Tongues of fire sat upon each of them. They all spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, and they were with one accord in one place when this took place. The church began. Power. Power. Somebody says Pentecost only means 50, but I say yes, but we've been going like 60 ever since. And the church is growing and multiplying because the Holy Spirit is power. Power. Now, that's all introductory. If I were sitting where you are sitting as a member of this church, having just heard what you have just heard, I think I would be jumping up and down with enthusiasm, probably clapping my hands, just thrilled with the Holy Spirit. Why are you sitting there so placid? I can't get along without the Holy Spirit. That wasn't bad for a start. I hope it will build by the time we get to the end. You're so conservative. Two points. 
Who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do? First of all, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is real. He is not some ethereal cloud out here somewhere. Let me read you a verse. I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter. Now, what does that word another mean? It means a person, just like I am. Not with a body, but a person. A personality. The third person of the Godhead. He will come. Now, if I were to translate this just for help today, it may sound a little irreverent, but it is not intended that way. I will pray the Father... And he will give you a spook. No. You see, Jesus didn't say that. I feel sometimes that people have in their minds that you just sort of move around like this when you're talking about the Holy Ghost. He's around here somewhere. He did not say, I will send you a spook. He said, I will send you another comforter. Just like I was a comforter, you will find he to be a comforter. A person abiding with you, living with you, talking to you, anointing you. A person just like I am. And then... You must understand that he's the third person of the Trinity. Matthew 28, 19, in the apostolic blessing. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. You see, he didn't even do his miracles his acts of power in the second person of the Godhead. He did them in the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit anointed him. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. So know who he is. Now, what does he do? I have got to condense about 500 things into five. Don't go away from the TV set or don't leave till you get all five. Don't even go to the phone until I get rid of number five. Okay? First of all, the Holy Spirit bestows love. While I was preparing, praying, studying for today, God spoke to me. Now, that's a careless phrase with a lot of folk but not with me. I don't say that very often. God spoke to me. In my heart, he spoke to me. And he said, the verse that you're going to share on love is the key to the ailments of the world. Well, I wanted to pay attention. That was worth taking note. Here's the verse. Romans 5, 5. 
It says the Holy Spirit has poured out the love of God. Then I thought of 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. I haven't thought of it in these terms before. But I will from now on. Marriage problems, lack of love. Nation-to-nation problems, lack of love. Problems within a church, lack of love. What is it a lack of? The Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit who pours out the love of God. Why are we in such a mess? Because we have closed the door to the third person of the Trinity. Humanism has entered in. Materialism has entered in. We have cut off the supernatural working of the third person of the Godhead. If you want to be healed in your marriage, let the Holy Spirit pour out the love of God in your heart. Two things will happen. One, you will love Jesus like you've never loved him before. I would like to hear people talk more about Jesus. I've heard enough about Hagler and Leonard. I'd like to hear a little bit about Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God, you want to talk about Jesus because he's your best friend. Let's talk about Jesus. The King of Kings is he the Lord of Lords supreme throughout eternity. My wife would get very upset with me if I talked about Joan or Bebby or Marilyn or any other female name you could concoct and didn't talk about Mary Ann. My first wife is Mary Ann. Because of all the rumors that float around these days, may I also add, my only wife. <laughs> my first love. My first love. So I talk about Mary Ann. Well, in the spiritual sense, we talk about Jesus because he's our first love. Now, if you don't do that, if that's not natural with you, you're here for this sermon. The Holy Ghost pours out the love of God and you want to talk about Jesus. And if you're not, get to this altar today. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, if you've got a hold of that one, let me give you the second thing. You love others. Oh, no. Let us love one another, for love is of God. Do you know the first fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is L-O-V-E, love? Before you come to peace and joy, you come to love. It's the first of the nine expressions of the Holy Spirit in the human heart. You've got to love others. 
Now, around a church like this, you often get your neck hugged because we practice this. Now, some of you need to kind of loosen up a bit. Don't be so tight. When the Holy Ghost pours out the love of God, you like to hug necks. It's just natural. Boy, last Sunday, a fella came up here who has met Jesus recently, and he was so excited to express his love because I was the instrument God used in his life, and he gave me a bear hug. And as he was doing this, I was standing there thinking, Oh, Lord, I have traveled this world, never had a plane crash, never been in a serious accident, and I'm going to die at this altar with this bear hug. I could almost feel my ribs start to give. My breath was gone. And I love this brother, but don't come today. Give me one more week to heal. But I understand it, and I say it in all goodwill. Because it's an expression, and you can't hold it back. God help us when we try to hold it back and get real stiff and starchy. Starchy, stiff sheets are worthless. They have to be flexible. They have to flow with your bod to be right. And so it is in the spirit. Here's a statement. Anointed of God. Closer you get to God, the closer you get to others. Don't forget it. When the Holy Ghost is pouring out the love of God, you don't run to the car to miss everybody. Uh -uh. You want to hug some necks. And you want to make things right with people that may have something against you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Secondly, the Bible becomes a living book. You see, you can't understand this book without the Holy Spirit. That's why people say, I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. You are making a terrible admission. You are saying, I don't know the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit authored it, so he knows it from cover to cover. And when you read it, and it doesn't make sense in the natural, the Holy Spirit says, this is what it means. Oh, woo! Whoa, never saw that before. Well, that's right. You never could see it before because the author hadn't told you about it yet. Glory to God. A Methodist minister said that since he has received the baptism of the Spirit, he finds God's Word alive and real. Consequently, he preaches with more power and has a rest of soul he never thought possible. An Episcopalian laywoman said, The Holy Bible suddenly became to me the living, breathing word of the eternal Godhead. That's right. That's what it does. It leaps at you. It speaks to you. It knocks you upside the head and heals you at the same time. 
The Holy Spirit does that through the Word. Thirdly, prayer becomes a lifeline. Formerly a ritual, now a living exercise. Romans 8.26 speaks of the Spirit Himself making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, praying in the Spirit. Paul said, I thank my God I speak with more tongues than any of you. Now we have a radio network in this nation where a man goes on microphone and says that that is another gospel. He will not tolerate people saying that this is a normal, biblical experience. I take complete exception to that. If we're going to use the Bible as our source of information for salvation, our source of information for baptism, our source of information for conduct in this life, then we must take the Word of God Totally, which says, ask, and you will receive. And if a father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Which means you don't get it all at salvation. There's more to come. The Ephesians didn't have it all. The disciples said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? They said, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So they laid hands on them and they spoke with tongues and magnified the Lord. Now, folk, I don't like to argue about this, but I just can tell you from the Word and by experience that I don't know how to pray as I ought but the Holy Ghost prays through me day by day with groanings which I can't think of. He knows what I'm saying. Now, this is a vital, a vital New Testament experience. If we're going to win this world for Christ, we've got to learn how to pray in the Spirit and not with our own intellect only. Wally Reel pastored the Mill Woods Pentecostal Assembly of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada for a number of years and was a friend of this ministry. Wally Reel loved me and I loved him. Wally Reel sat in this congregation some months ago with his wife and others from Edmonton to drink in of this ministry. Wally listened to a lot of my tapes, corresponded with me, was a friend and brother. Last late summer, he had a massive heart attack and was incapacitated for months. I did not know until yesterday that my friend Wally Reel, at 43 years of age, died. His wife sent me a letter. I just got it yesterday. Erica told me that Wally had been unconscious for four weeks. But what she told me in such a positive way excited me. And so I stuck it into my sermon after I read the mail yesterday. 
When he was unconscious for weeks, she would walk into the room and read his favorite psalm, which was Psalm 91. And then some of them would sing. And she said, incredibly, when she would read Psalm 91, though his eyes were closed, he would smile. Medically unconscious. She said, when we sang, he would sing even in harmony with his eyes closed and unconscious. She said, then on January the 6th, something happened that I'll never forget. She said, his face lit up. She said he was spiritually alive, though physically unconscious. His arms were lifted with his hands outstretched to God, and he began to speak in tongues. A river flowed out of Wally Reel's heart in tongues, though totally unconscious, with his hands raised with joy emanating from his face. I pushed my chair back, and I thought about this sermon, Romans 8, 26. The Spirit himself prays through us, helping our infirmities. So who says you even have to be conscious? If you're filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit can pray through you even when you're not conscious, which sort of introduces us to an all-new possibility that even while we sleep, we can be bombarding heaven with prayer because the Holy Spirit is using a Spirit-filled vessel to pray. Oh, then nobody ever dare say, I don't need that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He becomes a lifeline through prayer for us, helping us. And then fifth, or fourth, excuse me, fourth, praise becomes commonplace. When old elder A.G. Ward did the Methodist circuit route years ago in Canada, he had two horses. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, New Testament way, sold those two horses and bought two new horses and named them Prayer and Praise. <laughs> and he said, Prayer and Praise took him everywhere he needed to go the rest of his ministry. They never quit on him even once. That's what I want to say to you today. Shame on you. Shame on you. I've got to say it with a smile. I'm not mad. Shame on you for not raising your hand, for not opening your mouth and saying, thank you, Lord. Who has done better for you than God? Let me answer that. Nobody. 
Lift up holy hands and bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So we sing scripture choruses. We hand clap. We sing in the spirit. We even laugh once in a while in the spirit. <laughs> oh, how good it is to praise the Lord. It's not uncommon, unnatural. It's the best thing we could do. Let's get both horses on track. Prayer and praise. What do you say? Now, if I were sitting where you were sitting, I don't think I can handle that very well. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He deserves our praise. He inhabits the praises of his people. Glory to God. One more, your building. Power and boldness appear when the Holy Spirit is present. Acts 3, the next chapter after Pentecost. Peter, John, on their way to the temple for prayer. Passed by a lame man at the gate. He begged. Peter said, silver and gold have we none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he sat there until Peter took him by the hand, impetuous Peter. He said, I said, rise up and walk. And he lifted him up, and he not only walked, he ran and he leaped into the temple, praising and magnifying God. <laughs> I love it. And the people were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him, verse 10. And then at the end of the chapter, it says, they spoke the word of God with boldness. Chapter 4, verse 31. Boldness and power. Do we have it? Or when everybody else is cursing and telling their dirty jokes, we just sit over there kind of meek and mild, DD, deaf and dumb. Why don't we start talking about our Lord with power and with boldness? You don't have to take anything from the devil from hell, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You don't have to be whipped around when you're filled with the Spirit because you have power and boldness. In 1960, a phenomenal thing happened at an almost-to-be-boarded-up Episcopal church in Seattle, Washington. I lived up there at that time. Reverend Dennis Bennett was sent there from Southern California because he raised a big ruckus in an Episcopalian church in Southern California because he began speaking in tongues and talked about being filled with the Spirit. So this in trouble Californian, due to his new relationship with the Holy Spirit, was invited by the area bishop in the Northwest to come on up and bring your fire with you. So he did. And by 1969, that almost boarded-up Episcopal church in Ballard, the Norwegian section of Seattle, increased eight times, and a staff of four ministers was needed to care for the flock. Nightly meetings with healings and miracles took place. I know of it firsthand. And now, charismatic conferences are being held by Southern Baptists, Episcopalians, Lutherans, Methodists, Presbyterians, Mennonites, Catholics, and many others because they found boldness and power with something that was covered over, covered up, 
shut out the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. He was grieved. So like a dove, he doesn't stay around. He moves elsewhere. He lands where he's received. Neighbor, will you receive him? This blessed dove from heaven. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And listen to Isaiah 41, 17 and 18. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongues fail for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. The fulfillment of that was when the third person of the Godhead descended on this world and gave us water in a dry land, gave us drink to satisfy our thirst. We must open our hearts to him. That is what he is doing in our day. An article stated that on a wet, dreary November day in 1930, Henrietta Garrett died. Only 12 people attended her funeral in Philadelphia, PA. Two of them only remotely considered her family. It came to light shortly after her burial that the 81-year-old childless widow had left a fortune of $17 million and no will. Suddenly, Mrs. Garrett became one of the most beloved people in the world. In every state of America and 29 foreign countries, men and women began to claim kinship with Mrs. Garrett. Today, the estate of Mrs. Garrett is worth $40 million. And more than 26,000 people have claimed to be heirs. It is a story of lying, it is a story of forgery, it is a story of scheming and even violence to gain the wealth. Why do I share that story? Because many years before Mrs. Garrett died, a man stood in Jerusalem and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him should receive. You see, the search of man is for somebody's wealth. The search of man is for another drink, another shot, another pill, another night out, another trip to Vegas. Another fling. And it's never satisfied. You could have all of Mrs. Garrett's wealth and much more. And still be dissatisfied. Because the message today is what should I believe about the Holy Spirit? 
Jesus stood on that great day of the feast and said, out of your belly or your heart will flow rivers of water. This spake he of the Spirit. You want to know why you're so empty, so dissatisfied, so frustrated? You need an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give shall never thirst. Why don't we hear it? Why don't we obey it? Why do we not get filled with the Spirit? Stand with me, please. Come ahead, stand up. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. I am the fountain of living water. I am the source of all life. Your emptiness, your search, your quest can only be satisfied in me. You are going down a path that will lead you to nowhere, to destruction, to death. It is empty. It is forsaken. It is lonely. But if you will come according to the word that has been preached, you will find a fountain of living water. You will find a well-traveled highway that will lead to joy, to happiness, to fullness, to a life of meaning and purpose. Walk the highway that leads homeward, that leads heavenward. It is a highway of the Spirit. Walk it. Walk it today. And you will never be discomforted. You will never be defeated. You will always be victorious when you're on the highway of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, if I were where you are, I would get into an aisle. I would come to this altar. I would stand here with hundreds of others, and I would say, Jesus, I'm not batting a thousand. I need more of you. I want your spirit to fill me. I want to be full from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I would do that if I were standing where you're standing right now. So what's holding you back? Do you want all that God has for you? What is God saying to this church? What is God saying to the world?